The youth in our church have asked a very important question this morning. What is the whole point of all of this? What's the whole point of this Easter, Palm Sunday season that we find ourselves in? You know, what's, uh, we do this every year, but why? Why do we do it? it, is it and what's with all of these interesting things this time of year? The bright pastel colors, the, the eggs that are now lining the front altar. Well, what's, what's the point of all of this? What's it all looking to? And you know, I'm going to be honest, if, if we were to, the way we celebrate Easter in, here in the West, if the Lord should tarry and we were to, and a future civilization were to discover Western Christianity, well, I wonder what they would think about all of this. Now, they might conclude that we worship the changing of the seasons or some giant chicken with all of these eggs. Who knows? And you know, it seems crazy for me to say that, but many of us are already forgetting what this season is about. And we mindlessly go about all of these things that we do year after year anyway. (laughs) Here's what I mean by that. Some of you have heard me share this story before, but it bears repeating. You know, many... um, you know, for many years before coming back to the Presbyterian Church, I was involved in, a, in another non-denominational church, one that didn't strongly emphasize this whole season of Lent that we find ourselves in. Um, not, not because it was against it, I'll elaborate more on that in a moment, but, uh, but while I was at work one day, at my job, a bunch of people came into work on a random Wednesday with a bunch of stuff on their foreheads. And... I found that quite peculiar. Middle of the day on a Wednesday, what's going on? And so I, I, to, I talked to my coworker and I said, hey, what's going on here? And he said, oh, John, it's Ash Wednesday. Aren't you Catholic? And of course I had to clarify that for a second. But, but afterwards I had a genuine question for him. So, okay, so Ash Wednesday, what's that all about? What's Ash Wednesday? And he just gives me a blank stare. And me not wanting him to stay uncomfortable, I pivot the conversation and, you know, just kind of go about the rest of our day. We come to the end of our shift and he comes up to me again and he says, oh, hey, John, I, I wanted to say I remembered. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. And of course, my follow-up question, what's Lent? Gives me a blank stare again. And I know it was time to leave the building at that point. It was time to end that conversation. What are all of these things? What what is the point? Now, don't misread me. I'm not against Lent. I'm not against these seasons that we're in. I'm certainly not against these fun traditions we have for the children. I think they are wonderful in their right context. However, we have to be, well, we have to be aware of tradition for the sake of tradition, too. Mindless tradition, for the sake of mindless tradition, has no inherent value of itself. You know, Socrates himself, the great philosopher, once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And my seminary professor took it a step further and said the unexamined faith is not worth believing. The unexamined faith is not worth believing. In other words, there's no virtue in mindlessly repeating prayers that you don't mean from your heart. 
or even coming into a, a church building like this one once or twice a week or once or twice a year, uh, pending your, the occasion. There's no inherent value to it if you don't know why you're doing it, if you just do it because what you're supposed to do. But rather, we're supposed, I think there is a great value in seeking these answers so that we will worship God with all of our hearts and minds as the scriptures tell us to do. In fact, my, the, uh, I've been telling our confirmands constantly that I actually encourage them to ask questions. I love questions because I found a fascinating correlation between questions and answers. How fascinating is that? If you ask questions, you get answers. If you never ask your question, you never, you might never stumble across the, the answer to the questions that you have. And many questions do lead to a deeper understanding of what we believe and why it matters. In fact, we have quite a blessed privilege as Christians. We get to ask questions. Not everybody does. There's many religions and faiths and traditions where you dare not question the tradition of the elders, the pastors, their, your, their particular faith's holy book. You're not allowed to ask questions. And, that, and I find that fascinating. Is it because they don't want the actual truth to be discovered? Are they embarrassed of what it is? Are they ashamed of what it is? Who's to say? But Christians, on the other hand, we don't fear questions because we don't fear the truth. I don't mind the truth getting out. You know, biblical Christianity has nothing to hide. We are not ashamed of what we believe, why we believe it, or the book that what we believe is founded upon. The truth is, when you think about it, much of this season of Easter that we find ourselves in isn't founded in Christian principles or biblical traditions. This is part of the culture. Now, obviously, the, the colors, the bunny, the eggs, obviously, that's not part of the Bible. We all know that. But I've got some shocking news for us. Even Lent itself isn't in the Bible. Isn't that fascinating to think about? It's not in there. In fact, um, even though I think it's helpful when practiced correctly, it didn't come around until the 4th century, sometime in the 300s. It had become a tradition regularly practiced by the church. But the problem, and but, but again, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a helpful tool for our worship. But the problem is so many people do not practice it the right way. They make these 40 days leading up to Easter about what you need to do for God during this time. What sacrifices you need to do, what you need to forego to give up. Because your God demands it from you. But that misses the entire point of the gospel. That's not scriptural. Because when we think about what Holy Week represents from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, it's not about what we need to do for God how we need to bridge ourselves up to heaven, but how heaven came down to us. What God has done for us is the centerpiece of what Christianity is ultimately about. 
As a favorite hymn of ours says, it's not the labor of my hands that fulfills the law's demands. All for sin could not atone, thou must save and thou alone. So if you've been laboring, attempting to earn God's favor through what you must give up this season, or through your good deeds, that's not the gospel. No, uh, rather, it's what Jesus has done for us. I heard a fascinating story about a man who was invited out to dinner at a restaurant he'd never gone to before. And... uh, as he, um, he had to stay late at the office, though, so he had to go straight to the restaurant right from work, only to discover upon walking through that front doorway, this was a fancy place. And he's coming in right for this work clothes. He's all sweaty. He is clearly not going to be welcomed walking in that front doorway. Now he's in a predicament. What's he going to do? Is there anything he can do to be accepted into this place where he so clearly does not meet the minimum requirements of the the suit, the jacket, the tie, and all of that? There's nothing he can do. It's It's not a matter of him not having the money or anything like that. He's disqualified as he stands. You can't wash dishes to get your way into this. You can't volunteer uh, to any, any other service. There's nothing he can do. So he does the only thing he could. He goes right to the staff and admits his inadequacy. Admits he is not dressed in what he needs to enter into this place. And he asked for their help. And lo and behold, because this was a place that was generous, they provided the covering he needed. They gave him the suit, the tie, everything that he needed to be welcomed in to this restaurant. And if that isn't a picture of what Jesus has done for us to enter into his kingdom, I don't know what it is. I don't know what example I could give you. That they provided for him what he could not provide for himself. That he was dressed in the covering required to enter. That's what this season is about. Not boasting in my own good deeds or what I have given up or what I, or the great goodness I bring to the table, but recognizing my own inadequacy, my own utter inability to enter into heaven and seeking God for his covering that we find in the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for me. The only thing that could possibly qualify me for entering into the glories of heaven someday knowing that when my turn comes to enter the other side, I will find myself clothed in all that I need for that glorious day. That's what this season is about. Not about the more cultural things, nor is it about our sacrifice. And with that being said, I might be biased because I'm just a proud parent this morning, but I think those kids did a fabulous job today. Don't you guys agree? They perfectly worded what this season is, in fact, about. Addressing that, that it's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. Reminding us that even, even with these palms lining the altar, that this Holy Week began with Jesus being welcomed into the city with loud shouts of Hosanna, meaning save now. The week ends 
with them shouting, crucify him. Where on that cross, Jesus was not only betrayed by man, but took our place, taking the wrath of God upon himself so that all who would believe in him would be forgiven. All who would believe that he paid the penalty for us. I heard the story of a friend of mine who um, went to, who, you know, parked in the wrong place, who hasn't done that before, and got a ticket for it. And, you know, he shows it to a friend of his and uh, complains, obviously. But by the time he goes home, he goes online. You know, a lot of that's what a lot of people are doing these days, paying it online. But as he goes to pay for it, he finds that it's already paid for. Find things invalid. I forget exactly what it said. And he, he, go, he calls up his buddy because he knows about it. He's like, hey, what's going on here? And he said, oh, yeah, I know you've been going through some hard times. I took a picture of your ticket. I paid it for you. Amazing. There's nothing more for that guy to pay now, by the way. It's already been paid for. He can't contribute towards the bill. It's already been paid. There's nothing more to do but to be grateful and thank his friend for that sacrifice. (laughs) And knowing that perfect analogy that that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. And how do we know, lastly, that these things are true? Well, that's what egg number 12 was about. (laughs) It's empty. Just like that tomb, as this is so beautifully illustrating. Had Jesus been just another charlatan or uh, another religious figure looking to make a name for himself, he could have just said something much easier than I will physically rise from the dead. He could have said, I will spiritually rise from the dead. And no one could have ever proven that false. But no, Jesus said, I will physically rise from the dead. I will rise from the dead the way Jonah rose from the sea, tying what he said, tying what Jonah said in the Old Testament to what Jesus is proclaiming in the New. He will physically rise again to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that he was the Messiah. Some that no other religion can claim. You can visit the burial place of Muhammad the prophet. They recently discovered the, uh, the remains of Siddhartha Gautama, better known as the Buddha. You can go visit these sites where these things are. But nobody will ever be able to show me a sign that says, Here lies Jesus of Nazareth. At least not truthfully. Because he is risen. And that is the good news. <laughs> and it's, it's fascinating that Everyone in that time had a reason for him to stay in that grave. All they had to do, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Romans, to put down this emerging faith of Christianity was present the body of Jesus. If they had just shown that, Christianity would have disappeared by the end of the first century. But they didn't do it because they couldn't. Now, how on earth do you explain the absence of Jesus' body? You can't make earthly sense out of this. What, a couple of disorganized fishermen overpowered the Roman guards that Pilate himself ordered to make as secure as possible? That doesn't make sense. A resurrection makes more sense than that. 
What, maybe they just hallucinated Jesus rising. Maybe, maybe that's why they believe that Jesus rose. Okay, that's one theory, but then j- just show them the body. Again, that couldn't have been the reason. Well, maybe Jesus wasn't really dead, and he just woke up and moved the stone and walked out on his own. <laughs> Good luck with that. That stone weighed at least a ton that they sealed him with. I can't move that on a good day, much less being beaten practically to death. So none none of those other things make sense. The only explanation this morning that I can give you is the good news. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. And thanks be to God. Amen.